Negotiations had lasted for days, and many discussions had gone on long into the night. Both sides of the argument were tired and exhausted, and to be honest, some wondered if there'd ever be a breakthrough. One side presented their ideal blueprint, and the other side protested the injustice of this solution. To be honest, there was more talking than there was listening, and tension filled the air. Until finally, on Tuesday evening, one minute before the deadline, one side relented, having wilted under the extreme pressure of negotiations. And Sarah said, fine, you watch the football, I'll watch Love Island in the other room. We came to an agreement. And we've had our fair share of agreements in this country. The, the Good Friday Agreement, the St Andrews Agreement, the Hillsborough Agreement. Yet the one thing it seems like we still don't have is agreement. In, in the story of Nehemiah, we reach a point in the story, Nehemiah chapter 10 today, where we discover that they made an agreement. Over the last few weeks, as we've travelled this as a church, we've already seen a leader burdened by the state of the city and the inactivity of the people. We've seen this leader, Nehemiah, take action, um, set vision, mobilise the masses, and we've seen how he helped get the people to work on rebuilding And then a couple of weeks ago, we saw that the walls got rebuilt. And then we saw the people celebrating together and praying together. And now we reach the part in the story where they create an agreement. And let's read this agreement together in Nehemiah chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 32 um, to verse 39. So if you want to read with me um, as I read, that will be brilliant. Nehemiah 10 verse 32. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God, at set times each year, a contribution of wood to burn, how culturally relevant at this time of year, bring a a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. Verse 35. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees and of our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. And last verse, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. And in this brilliant little statement to finish this chapter, we will not neglect the house of our God. Today we meet the people who have completed the building of the walls and they're now determining not how they should build but rather how they should live within these walls. And so this was part of the story 
um, where the agreement was made. Verse 38 of chapter 9 tells us they made a binding agreement. Basically, it's an agreement about how they would live within the walls. Um, I, I mean, I guess that one of the questions we might ask is why? You know, why why do we need to make, why did they need to make an agreement? Why did they need to put rules and restrictions and regulations on themselves? You know, so often we actually ask, you know, maybe there's a myth at times that, you know, Christianity can be restrictive. It's all rules and regulations. But it's interesting in this passage that these rules weren't given by God. They were actually made by the people for how they would live as a people. It was an agreement about how they live. Uh, this idea of an agreement, it wasn't a new idea for these people in Nehemiah. In fact, it was part of their history and heritage. The Bible word for this idea of agreement is called covenant. Simply put, covenant is a binding promise between God and his people. And throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, there are lots of examples of God being a covenant God. So he makes a covenant with Adam that he would, Adam and Eve, that they would be fruitful and multiply the earth. A covenant with Noah to never flood the earth again. A covenant with Abraham that his name would be great and his descendants numerous. A covenant with David to bless his family line and that it would establish an everlasting kingdom. These are covenants to promises that came true. And we can see through the thread of the Bible how they came to pass and therefore how the promises of God can be trusted. This is how God communicates to his people. He covenants himself to his people. He makes promises and those promises can't be broken due to his perfect character. And so here in Nehemiah, the people are making what they say is a binding agreement with one another about how they will now live. In other words, these were conditions that they were placing on themselves. So today I want to talk about two things that arise from this commitment or this covenant. Firstly, promises, and then we'll talk about purposes. Um, Firstly, promises. This, This moment in Nehemiah was an occasion of great joy because the walls had been rebuilt. But it was also a serious matter and a solemn moment because promises were being made. I was trying to think as I prepared for this, what, you know, where has there been a time in my life where it's been an occasion of great joy, but it's also been serious and solemn. And I think back to our wedding, our wedding day of nine years ago this summer. And it was a brilliant day surrounded by family and friends. And we celebrated and we enjoyed good food and there was singing and dancing and laughing. And yet the centre point of our day, of this wedding day, was actually about entering a binding agreement. We signed a legal document. We made promises. We needed witnesses. And amidst all the jokes that we were signing our lives away, we, we made some huge statements to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. These are huge promises. And every time I've been at a wedding since, I've been reminded of the awesomeness of these promises and the nature of the commitment I have made. At each wedding I'm at, I also think about the evening buffet. A lot. But last week we had a baptism here, and it's the same. It was a really special time as a church family. Um, And for the family themselves, of course, it was joyous and cute and happy. And there were family and photographs and cake, but it was also serious and solemn too. Why? Because two parents were making promises. In fact, they were making a commitment, a covenant, that they would bring this child up in the family of the church and teach them the truths of the Christian faith. It's an awesome responsibility, so no pressure, Thomas and Hill. 
And when we when we had our sons baptized, it was an awesome spiritual experience for us as parents. For me, it felt like it was a commissioning service where we were being commissioned by our church family to be the primary disciplers of our boys. It was a commitment from us to God, but it was also a reminder of God's commitment to us. And that's what I want to think about here in Promises. You know, throughout the Old Testament and in Nehemiah, God's commitment to his people is unrivaled and unparalleled. He has given them a land. He has brought them back back from exile. He has rebuilt their city and been faithful to his promises. That's his commitment to them. But what about their commitment to him? Well, that wasn't so strong. And so this new generation of God's people now want to make a new commitment to him. They declare how they want to live and act and govern and give. There are two parts to the promises of the people here in Nehemiah 10. The first part is a list of all the people who signed it and gave the consent. And we see that it was Nehemiah, the governor, who signed it first. Once again, this week again, we see the forwardness of his work. As the leader, he sets a good example to others. Leaders go first. If you lead, then you need to set an example. You know, we want leaders of this church to set an example. You know, those of us who speak and host from the front of our gatherings, those who lead and host communities, those who serve on Sundays, we need to be setting an example. The things we ask of everyone else, we must live out ourselves. But in the second part of this chapter, we see the things they committed to. Here's the list. Verse 29, they would keep God's commandments. Verse 30, they wouldn't marry outside their faith. Verse 31, they would honour the Sabbath and cancel debt. That's good news, by the way. They would bring their tithes and offerings to the temple in verse 37 and 32. They would use their possessions generously, verse 35. And lastly, they would not neglect the house of the Lord. You know, none of these are new promises for the people. This wouldn't have been brand new information for the people who who were part of, of this Israelite nation. But they were restating their commitment because they'd been unhappy that somewhere along the line these promises had been broken. Some of the promises are about stopping, to, ceasing to do evil. And some of the commitments are about learning to do good. And you know what strikes me? that That's a really good structure for the promises that we make. At times our promises to God are about act, actions or attitudes that we need to avoid. And at other times we commit ourselves to positive and proactive actions that promote the kingdom of God. But our promises of limitations, I can't even keep or make the commitments that I want to keep. You know when we send a text to say we're running five minutes late when really it's 15? Or when we don't want to finish the whole bag of giant buttons but we do? Or when we set those New Year's resolutions but then February happens? The people of God will have felt like this too. Time and time again, they too have made commitments and failed to keep them. They had just had God visit them on Mount Sinai, yet they build and bow down to a golden calf soon after, and what is probably the most bizarre of all sins within the Bible. They, they had celebrated victory over their enemies, yet had ignored God's commands soon after. And here too, they were in the midst of an incredible celebration, making more commitments. You know, we need to be careful that when we gather, it's not just about receiving spiritual hits. We must ensure that while we should be making promises to God, that actually we stand here as people today who have received promises from him. 
sometimes our emphasis is making commitments to God, but actually he has made bigger commitments to us. And since God first called Abraham and commissioned his people under Moses, God's people have content, time and time again failed miserably to be the people that he called them to be. They haven't lived up to their commitments. They, they haven't been faithful and they were not a blessing to the nation. But the beautiful and big surprise is that even after they had failed him, even after he punished them by exile, God declared that his promises were still going to come true. Let's remember that the foundations of all the promises we make are not in ourselves. Our foundations don't lie in our own ability to fulfill the promises we make. We won't. God's people didn't get, didn't keep their promises, but God still kept his His promises are more reliable than ours. And so our foundations lie in God and in his grace. So firstly promises, not so much our promises to God, but his promises to us. And secondly purposes. You know, purpose is such an important thing for our generation, isn't it? We hear it all the time. What's your purpose? Or discover your purpose. Walk in your purpose. And I think some of that's good, you know, but... And I believe in that, but we're so conditioned. We've been so conditioned to think about what our purposes are and follow them. But you know, more than that, we need to train ourselves to think about what God's purposes are and follow them. It's not so much even about our purposes for God, but actually about his purposes for us. The people here in Nehemiah aren't creating any new ideas or agreements. They're simply once again realigning themselves to the purposes of God. They are aware that in all their living and traveling and hardship and trouble, somehow they've lost sight of who they truly are. Somewhere along the line, they have abandoned the purposes of God and replaced them for some sort of cultural identity that has proved to be a poor substitute. I wonder if some of us too here today were once passionately pursuing the purposes of God, but somewhere along the line, that desire has faded or we've replaced those purposes for some sort of cultural identity that has turned out to be a pretty poor substitute. Perhaps like these people in Nehemiah, it's time to remind ourselves today of the promises of God and realign ourselves with his purposes. You know, the walls may have been rebuilt, but the city of God is no longer physical walls, bricks or mortar. The city of God is no longer streets and walls and buildings. But it's transformed people. The city is being restored by God. And just like in Nehemiah, you are invited to have your name placed in the list of its inhabitants. The list of the people who sign up to this agreement. The walls are rebuilt by Jesus. And you're invited to take your place in the city. And when you do, you'll find yourself part of a new covenant. A new promise where Jesus has fulfilled the law himself and offers salvation to all those who turn to him. And we need to remember that he doesn't fail as other humans have in their promises, but he fulfills the covenant both as a human and as a God. All the earlier covenants find fulfillment in Jesus. And so as we have our names listed as dwellers in the city of God, we too enter a binding agreement with the Lord that our lives won't, will represent his. Like the people in Nehemiah, we too say we will not neglect the house of our God. I love what Alan Scott says. He says, we are not first called to platforms, but the altars. And we need to remind ourselves that before we do things for God, we receive from him. 
we worship him. So let's make that our prayer this week as we remind ourselves of God's purposes for us and his promises to us. And as a result, we bind ourselves to a commitment to follow the word of God in our lives. And so perhaps as in response to this today, you know, this week you, you might want to familiarize yourself again with some of the promises of God. Maybe for you, some of the promises and the purposes that you once had have become faint and dim and lost. And maybe you need today, in light of all of this, to familiarize yourself with some of the purposes of God and the promises of God in the Bible. And so to finish today, just before I pray, I just want to take time to read just a few promises from God, things that we can rely on, covenants that he's made with his people. Um, And so maybe you might want to just close your eyes or listen to some of these. And maybe some of them may resonate with you. These are the promises of God that we can rely on. Matthew 11, come to me. Jesus said, all of you who are weary and carry heavy and and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah 40, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Philippians 4, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And I am convinced that neither that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons, Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so do not be troubled or afraid. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And lastly, Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. Amen.